What's up, you guys? Steven Mielhausen here, host of Walkway to Fight Club, combat sports reporter for DAZN. Happy Thursday. It is April 1st. Good lordy, we're three months through the year, a third of the way through 2021. Holy cow, quite amazing. Opening day for Major League Baseball. Uh, go White Sox, by the way, my team. If you don't like the Chicago White Sox, you're not a fan of the podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm a diehard Chicago White Sox fan. So hopefully this will be the year and 16 years later we can win the World Series. So 2005 to 2021, I feel like it's going to be the year. Enough of that. I want to thank you guys for listening to the Francis Naganu UFC 260 recap and also the interview with Karrion Cross is he will challenge Finn Balor for the NXT title at Stand and Deliver coming up next Thursday, one week from today, April 8th, live on Peacock in the United States and also on the WWE Network throughout the world. A great podcast for you guys today. I'll be talking to, as I talk to MLW star Sean Davari. He faced Myron Reed at MLW's Never Say Never. We talked briefly about the match with Myron Reed, what he thinks on Myron as a talent. But a lot of good stuff from Sean. We talk about what separates MLW today from everybody else. A comparison between MLW and Saturday Night Live. And who is the better beer drinker? Or alcohol drinker, however you want to prefer, uh, preface it. Kevin Nash or Kurt Angle? I think how very awesome thing there with Sean Davari and also coming back from back surgery and thinking would he be able to come back and get into the ring and now he's doing great at MLW in the ring behind the scenes a lot of great stuff from Sean Davari don't forget you can watch MLW it is live it's on demand on the zone so make sure you guys definitely check that out don't forget rate review subscribe to the podcast is greatly appreciated it means a lot we're ticking everybody we're juking and jiving along this shiznit so keep doing what you're doing it means a lot it's greatly appreciated more than you will ever understand right now here is my interview with mlw star sean navari sean i just want to thank you for taking some time out today it's really greatly appreciated and you know, you we were just talking about the weather before we, I hit the record button, and, you know, I'm very jealous. I'm in Chicago. It's raining here. You're in the nice, sunny weather of Las Vegas, so I, I'm going to guess right now it's about 90 degrees in Vegas. I wish it was that nice, but it's pretty close. It's about uh, 69, 70 degrees today, but this is, like, the perfect time of year where, like, it kind of, like, the... Vegas is weird. It comes with a freaking cold in February. It rolls right into beautiful March, right into the pool party. So I'm excited that pool season can be opening up. Hopefully people get vaccinated. We can all get out and enjoy the summer. Kind of feel like we got screwed out of the last summer. We really did get screwed out of the last out of last summer. And what was, you know, I've been asking a lot of wrestlers this, and I'm, I'm going to ask you the same thing. How was 2020 for you? budget cuts and that was part of the redundancies of, you know, the, the, the pandemic cuts 
So that did sting, it did suck a little bit, but I always look at the flip side of it. If someone I love or a close friend or family member died of COVID-19, I couldn't care less about you know losing my job. So I won't complain or I won't cry personally. And I can also give it a silver lining that getting let go from WWE opened up you know new opportunities for me, like working with Court Bauer at MLW. Do you feel then, you know, that it's a blessing in disguise? Because like you said, you were doing behind-the-scenes stuff with WWE, and now you get to do what you love and you get to be back in the ring. So do you feel like, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, this was all just a blessing in disguise? I think it might be. Like I'll tell you, from in 2018, or May of 2018, I had back surgery. And um, prior to that, I was like, you know, my body was kind of falling apart at a pretty, a pretty quick uh, pace when you have, like, you know, spinal damage or disc damage, it just kind of lingers into other things like leg problems, knee problems. I was having bladder problems where the nerves and my uh, spinal column would just get hit right with that bulging disc and like my bladder would just evacuate itself. Like while I was just walking or talking to someone, it was, it was really bad. And then having that back surgery, I didn't know about getting back in the ring, but it was a super cool opportunity that WWE called me to do the producer gig. And over the 18 months I was working with WWE as a producer, I was healing up from that back surgery. I was getting back to the gym. I was training. And probably around January or February of 2019, I started like watching you know, the talent I was producing and seeing what they were doing and hearing what Vince McMahon was looking for and what Bruce Pritchard and Paul Heyman and stuff were looking for. I started thinking, like, you know what? Like, I thought this back surgery was the end of my career, but I feel good in staying out of the ring for 18 months, let other things like my shoulders and stuff heal up. 18 months of getting to go to the gym and rehab properly without, you know, the, the wear and tear of being in the ring of, of, you know, wrestlers that go on the grind every day. It's so hard to properly work out and rehab in the gym if you're just banged up every day from wrestling. So I didn't know it, but I kind of think all of that was giving me the confidence, the time and space that by the time I did get released, I got back into a local ring here in Vegas and I was rolling around with some of the guys and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm better today than I was, you know, in 2012 and 2013 before my back injury, uh, just because I've never had 18 months off my entire career to let everything heal up and 18 months off to properly go in the gym and train every day and meet with my physical therapist and work on my lower back and stuff like that. It really was something that I didn't know at the time, but getting let go from WWE was kind of what I needed to get back into a wrestler role to be able to kind of get out of the ring on my own terms and then hopefully slide into a backstage position again. Is it fair to say, Sean, that until you had the surgery and everything else, you were considered retired? Yeah, I definitely was. I didn't think, um, like I opened up a wrestling school in Minneapolis that I was operating with uh, Ken Anderson in 20, uh, 2016, 17, and 18. Uh, and then I sold out my half, I decided to move back to Vegas. But during that time, I didn't think that, even if I had the back surgery, I didn't think that I would be able to, you know, properly work and wrestle the way I had been previously. But I was still pretty young. Like, at the time, I wanted to be 34, 35 when I had the back procedure. And I was really concerned about coming in the ring and looking like an old-timer. Like, I didn't want to be in the ring if I couldn't move and perform at the level that a 34-year-old Sean Davari, 35-year-old Sean Davari should. And, I, and during the whole 18 months with WWE, I wasn't even sure about it either. But, you know, as, as the time went on, and honestly, God, my back feels really good. And 
you know, the producers changed in the dressing room with all the other talents that I remember. I specifically remember one time Alistair Black, I took my shirt off, and I was like, what the fuck, why aren't you, why are you a producer, why aren't you wrestling anymore? Because I was like, you yeah, know, I'm in pretty good shape and everything, and I was like, I don't know, I just kind of felt my run was over. But now it's just this, it's kind of dovetailed into this whole big thing where it's like, this is really cool, this is an opportunity for me to, like, perform better than I ever have before, and then plan getting out of the ring. Say, okay, when I'm done doing here, this is in the next handful of years, that's when I would like to be a producer. When I've decided I no longer want to wrestle, not when my body tells me I have to be stopped. How long do you want to wrestle for? Because you're only 36, so you're still pretty young in the grand scheme of things. So yeah. do you have an exit strategy in mind? Not, not, a, not a hard number, but generally speaking, wrestlers do their best work from about 35 to 40, and then from 40 on, it starts to fall apart. So, like, I feel like I'm in that window now, and especially with my body healed up, you know, I'm in that window now where I have some here where I probably can output my best work, which will quickly be followed by my worst year. So... By the time I feel like I roll into the early 40s, I definitely want to be figuring out the idea of how to wrap it up. I think maybe another four or five years I can do this in a full time and a full schedule and still get out without needing a second back operation, you know. Why do you think a wrestler's prime is that thirty-five, age 35 to age 40? It's funny. I was just having this conversation with someone the other day. It kind of seems that... It used to be wrestlers, but now it's kind of moved into just all pro sports with LeBron James and Tom Brady and like and like Bobby Lashley at WWE. Like even guys that are maintaining and taking care of their bodies into their forties are doing their best work. But uh, as far as professional wrestling goes, I think it takes a certain amount of time to really, really get a grasp of it and comfortable with it. And I think that's usually around ten years. Then you have probably another handful of years where you perfect it, but. Usually, if a wrestler say starts in their mid twenties, their late twenties, they get up and running. At that point, when they're in those years where it all comes together, sometimes they're around 39, 40, 41, and, and their body no longer uh, can hang in it. That was the opposite way. My body was screwed up before I got my prime. I was just super lucky that I had this opportunity to take some significant time off while still getting paid uh, to to allow myself to get here. But yeah, I, it's the timing of my experience. Like, my ring IQ, as far as what I know I can do, and my body, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself specifically. Like, I never worked out before I started wrestling. But when I was 16, I broke into the business. And, you know, now at 36, like, you know, I have about 21, 22 years of weightlifting under my belt. I have, like, if you look at my promo pictures, you can just see every year I look a little bit in better shape. When I was five years in the business, I looked like somebody who's been working out about five years. But then when I was 10 years in the business, I looked like... Somebody's been working out about 10 years. Now, you know, I feel like my body's in the best shape it's ever been. And that's because I've had about, with the exception of a year off for injury, I had about 22 years of working out five days a week almost. So, like, all those things have come together. And, and, and like I said, it's at that time where your ring IQ, your body, and your uh, ability all intersect. But very, very soon, the body starts going downhill. You know, you see that, you know, when, you know, when you look in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and even the early part of the early 90s, you hear, you would hear stories about talent starting when they're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. You really don't get that at the the current wrestler in this day of age. What made you want to start getting into wrestling at the age of 16? It's really funny. I wish I had a a good story for this, but uh, when I was 16, I believe that's like 10th grade or 9th grade. 
my high school guidance counselor. It was the first time I ever sat with a guidance counselor. They just had every student comes in at a different time and speaks to them. And she was like, okay, you know, you're going to be done with high school in a couple of years. Do you want to go to college? Do you want to find a job? What do you want to do? And I literally never even thought about it at that point in my life. I'm like, what do you mean? I wake up, I go to school, I go back to my mom's house and I play video games so it's time to go to bed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when she said that, I was like, well, I guess I want to be a pro wrestler. It's like the only thing I could think of that I would, I really loved wrestling at the time and the year was like 1999. So it's like, for a 16-year-old kid in 1999, it was the absolute best time to be a wrestling fan. It was like the complete obsession of my life. And my plan was, the only wrestling like I knew of was WCW used to run power plant commercials during Nitro. Yeah. So that was the only, I was like, okay, I'll graduate high school, I'll go to the power plant, then I'll work for WCW. That was like my roadmap to uh, the wrestling business. And then, as actually through Road Warrior Animal, I heard of um, Road Warrior Animal's used to coach uh, football at my school. And we, me and his son both went to Wise out of high school. And Road Warrior Animal was the coach for his son's team. And Animal was the one that hooked me up with Eddie Sharkey. And uh, Eddie Sharkey, you know, he never even asked how old I was or anything. He got any money? I was like, yeah, I got money. He's like, all right, come on. You know, he trained me to wrestle. <laughs> that is great. And... You know, so they didn't even ask for a driver's license? When, so did, they, did anyone ever find out you were only 16? Yeah, no, they, they, they knew. They just didn't ask. They didn't care. Like, literally, I was like, you got money? I was like, yeah. I was like, all right, you can come train. Oh, jeez. That was the only requirement. Oh, and the, like, the, the fact that I got trained by, like, Eddie Sharkey is just a pure, like, just because I happened to live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I got the best training you possibly get in the wrestling business. All these little things that just happened to me accidentally that... I had no idea what setting me up for crazy stuff. You know, you look at, you know, you wouldn't get that now. And what would you tell you, what would a 36-year-old Sean Davari tell that 16-year-old Sean Davari when he started wrestling? <laughs> I don't know what I would tell him, but I can tell you, I thought about this not too long ago. The 16-year-old version of me would be so crazy, like, enthused that some of the wrestlers that I used to, watch on TV and Adore have become, like, my actual, like, my friends, like, you know, Kevin Nash and Xbox and stuff. Like, if I go back in time, like, hey, one day, uh, you and Kevin Nash hang out after shows and drink beers together every night. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, my, I wouldn't be able to wrap my head around her, like, hey, you and Kurt Angle are going to drive from town to town together for about two years. Like, what? Get the fuck out of here. Who was the better beer drinker, Kurt Angle or Kevin Nash? Extremely jealous of that. It, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. He said, Yeah, I could drink the whole thing in about a second. I was like, Really? And he just put to the top, he pulled the whole thing back, and then one gulp, he got 12 ounces of beer down his throat. Holy Christ. I mean, he, like I said, because he's so normal and well spoken and stuff, like, it's different than when you're hanging out with, like, the great Tali or something. Like, you forget Kevin Ash is actually kind of a giant, too. You know, the next time I talk to Kevin, it's been about a year, little over a year since I've talked to Kevin. I'm going to have to bring this. I'm going to tell him I talked to you, Sean. And I'm going to have you. Next time you see him, ask him to show you. Say, you, like, you can drink a bottle of beer faster than anybody else in the world. So show like, a second and a half, you can, you can drink it all. The one time I sat at a bar with him, this was about 
little over two and a half years ago, he drank wine, but he drank the wine very slowly. So I, next yeah, time I see him in a bar, right? we're going to have to drink some beer. Yeah, Bud Light Lives, that was our drink. After every episode of TNA, he, him and Nick Aldis and Doug Williams was like, we'd go get like a bucket of Bud Light Lives and just sit at the bar and drink all night. You know, you look at, you know, the way wrestling is right now. You know, you don't have, you know, AEW has limited fans in the venue. You know, WWE is going to be having WrestleMania with fans. But beyond that, they haven't had fans at their shows. How much of an adjustment has it been for you to be able to wrestle without having fans at the arena? For me specifically, it's been fucking terrible. Like, I am not good at not hearing what the audience needs or what I need to give them uh, at this stage of my career. If I was in this pandemic in, like, 2007, 8, 9, 10, whatever, it would have been no problem to just put a match together and have it. But as the years went on, I got so used to just tuning my ear to what the audience was primed for, to what to give them or what they need or what they are bored with, that I would wrestle more. Like, if I wanted them to, if I wanted the audience to be concerned for my opponent here, I would figure out, okay, I throw a drop kick. But if I can't hear what they need, if I don't know, like, oh, this is about the time where they should be concerned, or this is about the time they should feel my opponent still has some fights left and then he's going to come back. When I can't hear that, I kind of have a hard time knowing when that is. So I just trust my referee's time. Because that's kind of all I've been doing, but I need that. Uh, like, since I've been back wrestling from that, like, 18-month hiatus, I have yet to have the opportunity to, like, rock a crowd. And I really feel I need to hear that to really get my confidence back. But every match I have is in, like, almost absolute silence. And when you're in the wrestling business, you know that, like, silence is the worst thing you can have. they they got to be making noise. They can cheer you or they can boo you, but silence is like, you know, find another job. And that's what everything feels like. Everything feels like, oh, I'm up to shit the bed. It's fucking silent out there. Has this period been for you as a performer the most frustrating time of your career? Definitely not the most frustrating time, no. And as I've gotten older, this was just something that you... I think with time in the business, but also just maturity of being an older man in his, in his 30s now versus a younger guy in his 20s, the wrestling business doesn't bother me. Like, I enjoy all of it. Like, every time, even like your worst day in the wrestling business, I always laugh. Like, well, at least I'm not working at Walmart. Like, at this stage in my life, uh, not to say anything wrong with Walmart, but what I should say is that at least you know, I'm not working a minimum wage job. You know, I, I enjoy all of it. The ups and downs, like, when I was younger and things would be shitty in the wrestling business, I used to get mad. Now when things get shitty, I laugh and go, oh, man. It doesn't really phase me anymore. It's like you can look at it. Life can always be a lot worse. I always say that to people at this stage. It's like, you know what? I get to do what I love to do. It made a, like you said, I'm not working at like a Walmart where I'm working, you know, for crappy money to where now it's, it's very good money and I can, to where you can support your family. So you always look at it as, a life can be a lot worse than it really is. Yeah, and, and me especially, like again, like just maybe being a little bit older and having you know a lot, a lot more hindsight as like a hopefully a wiser man in my thirties than I was in my twenties. Like I'm one of the rare exceptions, I think, that I'm under six feet tall, I'm under two hundred pounds, and I broke in the wrestling business in 1999, and this is the only job I've ever had. Like by any stretch of the imagination, if I had any success. It should have been maybe like a one-year cup of coffee run, you know, somewhere for five minutes and then washed up doing nothing for the rest of his career. But, like, for 22 years, the wrestling business has allowed me to not require to go figure out another career or go figure out another life. 
And again, for how small I am and how big everybody was when I got started, it's, it's kind of unbelievable when I'm so you know, and this is that's just, actually you brought up something I really wanted to ask you, and I had it in my notes here about the evolution of the wrestling business. Because you look at, like you said, you started in '99; it was still regarded as you know you had to be somewhat of you had to be six two, six three, six four, weigh about two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty pounds. So now, where you look at it, it's you know you can be five foot nine, you can be one hundred and eighty pounds, you can be two hundred pounds. And everything is just fine. And it seems like the, the business has gone from more of the body business to now more about personality and the talent inside the ring. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's the opportunities that were given little by little and the people that got them doing extremely well with them. Like, whether it was, you know, the bar being lowered as far as size requirements for the WWE around WrestleMania 20 with Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. That was kind of like something that if they shipped the bed or if they did a terrible job, that might have been something that did not keep going down. And I say the same thing prior to that with like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. If Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, the bar was lowered first for like size to them. If they shipped the bed and had terrible matches, no one gave a fuck. The bar might the bar might have gone right back up to the Giants and never been back down. And it kind of, that trend has continued on with like Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and, and everything. And I think it's, by those guys showing, like, hey, you guys had this misconception that because someone is of a certain size or isn't of a certain size, that the audience won't give a fuck about them or that they won't be able to steal the show. Like, they, they, when they proved that that was incorrect, I, I, and I think, like, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, they're a big reset, like, specifically, I'll speak just for WWE, that it allowed once Triple H took over the developmental system and NXT and everything, he said, you know what? Like, there was a, there was a very stiff bias against the Indians for WWE for the longest time. And I don't know why, it was just weird to me, but they just didn't, they didn't look at the Indies as like anything credible. It's just some, ah, there's just some fucking bunch of, you know, step on backyard wrestling. But then when like the PC and NXT came around, that, that perspective completely changed and they're like, you know, they use the Indies as a tool to find their top level performers. And you've seen since then, how many people have come through, whether it's like, Kevin Owens would never have been given an opportunity with his, you know, size uh, several years ago, or, or uh, Sami Zayn would never be given an opportunity because of his physique, or or so on and so forth. But now, I think as every one of these guys comes through and proves their worth, they were just destroying that uh, stigma that used to exist there. You know, you look at you talk about right now wrestling in 2021, and you know, you look at. You know, I watch every week on zone, and the one thing I notice about MLW to where I feel like a lot of things I'm lacking in, in the other companies is the consistency of storylines. just feels like week after week, the storylines in MLW are consistent. Is that a fair assessment to make? Yes, very good. I, and I, I don't know. Like, I was a part of the producing process of uh, these MLW episodes that have just been coming out in this new uh, season, I guess you could call it. And I will say from what we went over the production meeting and what court provides us on the scripts to what we executed at the actual production date was exactly what we went over. And in every other wrestling company I've ever had the opportunity to work behind the scenes, and that just doesn't happen. Whether it's by the way they operate their system, whether it's injuries or people being not available or logistical problems, whatever, it, it just always happens. So it's always changed. Some places more than others. And I think that really, really... Uh, when you kind of do it on the fly like that, it has a domino effect where when you change something in one segment or one episode, 
it kind of has a domino effect in the other worlds, and that's when you don't have, you have a lot of holes in your storytelling. You don't have as tight of a narrative. But that's something I noticed. Uh, I believe Court believes in that as well, is that you put the time and effort in the material, and then you go execute. If you do it the other way around, if an architect spends 50 hours putting blueprints together, it's going to be a better blueprint than the one he throws together on the production site the day of. How refreshing is that for you? You've been around the block. You've been everywhere. How refreshing is that for you to where you're be, you're given something and it doesn't change and you always have that consistency? How was it for you in the producing role and also as an honor performer? So as a talent, when I was younger, it used to bother me a lot. That was something, uh, was a, a bit of an issue I had in TNA, my run there with Vince Russo, that I wasn't smart enough yet in wrestling to know how to make anything work. And that's something that I figured out. Again, it's nothing you can teach somebody. You learn it over years and years. A promoter calls me up tomorrow and says, I need a wrestle you, a you wrestle an orangutan in a Punjabi prison match. Like, I'll be like, okay, I can do that. Like, I know how to make that. I know how to make that work. But when I was earlier in my career, when stuff would change, it would kind of make a traffic jam in my brain. I'd go, oh no, fuck, what? why are we doing that? Why can't we do that? <laughs> you know, like, and that, and that was, like I said, that was just not being able to zoom out, look at the thing as a whole, and then be like, zoom back in and be like, okay, here's, if this is what we have to do, here's the way we can do it as best as possible. As a producer, it's, it, it's kind of like I get to converse with myself at a younger age when talents don't get it, but <laughs> as a producer, it's a joy when I get to work with talents that do know how to do that. Like, I've always used Bobby Roode as one of my favorite people to work with and, and uh WWE or Eric Young now when I'm doing producing and they they're able to make anything work too so no matter what is it's like the producer is just a messenger I'm just delivering creative methods they give me a script and say don't make this happen like that's the producer's role like I don't get to change the script or adjust the script I just have to execute the script and you- really experienced veteran talents like Eric Young like Bobby Roode no matter what you give them you say the boss wants to do blah 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 and blah 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 and blah 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 tonight Just considering, you know, with everything going on in the world, because to me it seems like MLW not only stayed constant, but they were also, they made a lot of different moves in terms of talent and where the distribution is in terms of where the product's going to air on. What do you make of the MLW product at the current time? I love the variety. The wrestling fan in me loves the variety of it. Like, it still kind of baffles my mind that so many people have so many hours of programming but you see a lot of the same shit segment after segment and week after week and stuff. It's like you, I take a TV show like Saturday Night Live, for example. If Saturday Night Live was just two hours of political jokes, it would be boring as fuck pretty quick. 
like you know they start off with a monologue and they move into a commercial parody and they do a skit and then they have a music act and then they have weekend updates like the variety of SNL makes the wash very easy and that's something MLW does very well where you can have some extremely amazing high-flying action with like Leo Rush you know earlier in the night then later on you might have contract doing like a hardcore match you know a street fight or something like I have coming up with Myron Reed and then later in the night you might have the parts doing some Laredo Kid doing some amazing Lucha Libre or something the variety of the MLW program makes it much easier watch uh, in episode format whereas I find myself with other wrestling programs like I'll fast forward through it and just pick out segments I like, but watching it episodically, it can be a little, like, long in the tooth. You know, you talked about Myron Reed a couple times, and you're facing him at Never Say Never on March the 31st, and what do you make of Myron Reed at this stage as a performer? As a performer at this stage in his career, I think he has everything, uh, like, all the upside uh, ahead of him. It's one of those things where... You never know. Sometimes talent stops developing. Sometimes someone gets better every year, and then they hit that five-year window, and then they never get any better. Or they hit that eight-year window, and then they never get any better. And Myron's one of those talents that every year he's on the job, he keeps improving, maybe keeps working on his physique, maybe keeps working on his promos. And he's one of those guys that every year he's on the job, he just improves a little bit. I think his success is going to be undeniable, wherever it may be, be it in MLW, Japan, United States, wherever he goes. If he's someone that never rests on his laurels, and just every year he's doing this, and he's, you can visibly watch videotape or footage and see, like, man, then he's added this to his repertoire, and then he's added this to his character, and then he's added this to his look. Like, I, I think the guy's success is going to be undeniable. Does he remind you of anybody? He and, and this is, like, and not, not at all in the look or what he does, but he reminds me a little bit of, like, Jeff Hardy and RBD in a way that... They just do their own thing. Like, it's not a... The way, you know, the way Rob Van Dam throws a kick is different than anybody else. And the way that Jeff Hardy reverses an Irish whip is different than everybody else. It's not like they do the same shit, but there's this unique flair to everything they do that just nobody else in the roster has. If you're a wrestling fan watching hours and hours of wrestling every week, that's the kind of stuff that makes you go, oh, that's different. This is kind of, this match is something that I was super excited for because this is kind of the direction I want to take my character and the way I work. And it's just something that's very physical, very violent, and something that doesn't have a lot of grace, and something that doesn't have a lot of, um, I guess grace is a good word, grace and balance to it. I feel like every professional wrestler, myself included, works so hard at their technique and being like mechanically sound and precise of everything they've done over the years that it's kind of, that style has kind of become the norm. And now I'm noticing when I watch programming anywhere, there's not very much like ugly, rough, violent looking shit on any major uh, American wrestling products. And that's something that I hope if the fans like this and the promoters like this, I hope this is something that maybe towards the twilight of my career I could become somebody that's a little more rough around the edges to show, you know, evolution and development in my character when I was younger and I was training and I was healthier I was doing you know a lot more high flying and a lot more technically mechanically sound stuff like the Ring of Honor style but then now that I'm getting a little bit older a little bit more grizzled a lot of the younger guys can run faster than me they can jump higher than me now they're more agile than me so I think I have to get a little more violent a little bit more rough so I can be the counterbalance to every other member of the roster on any, you know, on any given wrestling show 
Sean, we've never talked before. This has been fantastic. I just want to thank you for the time today. It really does mean a lot. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. A big thank you to Sean Davari. You can catch MLW, all the latest episodes on On Demand, exclusively on DAZN. If you haven't watched that match with Myron Reed, make sure you guys go and take a look. Never Say Never, a fantastic show by MLW. They're just churning it out right now. And I want to give a shout-out to my boy, Ray Flores. Signed with MLW, kicking ass with his play-by-play. Loving it. Keep kicking ass, Ray. I love you, my friend. We'll have to get you on the podcast soon. But I want to say this. Thank you to everyone once again. It's, you know, expectations are blowing my mind away. Just everyone watching different stuff. Getting the feedback, countries from all I never imagined would listen, is blows my mind away. So I'm, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you guys so much. It definitely means a lot. A lot of great stuff in the archives. John Moxley, the Young Bucks, Bill Goldberg, Dana White, Drew McIntyre, Bailey. I, we can just keep going. You know. I can just seriously keep going. Carrying Cross got a lot of great interviews coming up. Awesome thing we're I'm, me and Daryl Rivera are doing tonight. It'll be live tonight. Audio will be available tomorrow. Video will be up right away because we're gonna be doing it live. So gonna have a ton of fun tonight. So I definitely want everyone to chime in. It's going to be a great time. We're gonna have a hell of a time tonight. So it's gonna be a ton of fun. And what it is, a piece of wrestling history took place. On Thursday, April 1st, not on, <laughs> it took place on April 1st, 2001, from the Reliant Astrodome in Houston, Texas. That's all I'm going to say for next week. Awesome stuff next week as well. I, I can already give you a little bit of a preview of what's going to be happening. We're going to be talking to the former 12-time UFC flyweight champion, one of the greatest of all time, looking to capture the one championship featherweight ti- flyweight title, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, he'll be facing Adriano Moranos. I think that's his name. I got it here somewhere. Adriano Marias. One championship debuts on TNT on Wednesday, April 7th. Also, be talking to the great Eddie Alvarez, the former Bellator and UFC flyweight champion, as he faces Uri Lepikis. Coming up, that's a big... Big t- four-week period for one championship. We'll get into that more next week. But really looking forward to what one championship's doing. They'll be right after AEW on TNT at 10 Eastern, 9 Central, and 7 Pacific. I'm definitely looking forward to that. And also, next year, I'm not going to ruin the other one. I don't want to get my hopes up here. I've got a couple other ones I'm working on. We can get them going. Holy cow, I'm going to have some great – next week's going to be fucking awesome, guys. So stay tuned in for that. Don't forget – Facebook page, Walkway to Fight Club. Just type it in, the Walkway to Fight Club. Right there, bing, bing, boom. On Twitter, at Walkway Fight. Instagram, Walkway to Fight Club. You can catch me on Twitter at SMealhousingJR. Catch the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeart. You name it, we're there. Just type in Walkway to Fight Club. Bing, bing, boom. You are set to go. This is Steven Mealhausen. I'll talk to you next. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.